today we're going to continue in Habakkuk. If you want to go ahead and turn to uh, chapter uh, 3, that's where we are going to be. You can hold your place there. I want to set the stage for what we're going to read by briefly reminding us what we have covered uh, to this point in Habakkuk. Uh, In the first week, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we saw and learned of Habakkuk's first complaint to God, which I don't think it's too strong to say it was his first complaint uh, against God, which was that Habakkuk felt that God was tolerating the wickedness of the people of Judah, that he ought to have been doing something about it, but he wasn't doing anything about it. They were getting away with evil, they were getting away with injustice, and Habakkuk felt that they deserved judgment, they deserved punishment. And so he was upset that God wasn't doing what he thought God ought to be doing about it. And God graciously and patiently answered Habakkuk, and he explained to him that he was very aware of the evil of Judah. Uh, that he was at work among the nations at that very moment, raising up the nation of Babylon to be the instrument with which he would bring the earned judgment upon Judah. So God assured Habakkuk that he did see the evil and that he was and would do something about it, that Judah was not getting away with anything, that justice would be done, that judgment would come. And then in the second week of the series, last week, we learned about Habakkuk's second complaint, which was a complaint about God's answer to the first complaint. God has been through this a lot. This is sort of how we as people are. Complaint, complaint, complaint. Answer one, we got another one. There's complaints everywhere. Okay, but this is about God and Habakkuk, so I'll get back to the story. Uh, so, so, a complaint about God's answer to the first complaint. It's very interesting. And here was his second complaint. It was basically that God was going about the business of judging incorrectly. Isn't that fascinating when you think about it? That it was unjust for Babylon, an even more wicked nation than Judah in in, uh, Habakkuk's view, to be the instrument of judgment against the more righteous Judah. Of course, I shared a thought by William MacDonald last week that perhaps Judah was actually the more wicked nation than Babylon because they were engaging in wickedness even though they had more light than what Babylon had. Who is really worse? Those who don't believe in God and act like they don't believe in God? Or those who say they do believe in God and then act like they don't believe in God? Who's really worse? But either way, Habakkuk's second complaint is that God should not be using Babylon as the instrument of judgment because they also need to be judged and even more so. And so God answers Habakkuk's second complaint by assuring him that after Babylon has been used to bring judgment on Judah, Babylon itself will be judged 
and they will also receive the punishment that they have earned. So God has assured Habakkuk through both of his complaints that he sees everything. He sees it all. He sees the evil of Judah. He sees the evil of Babylon. God assured Habakkuk that he will address it all. No one is getting away with anything. Judgment will come on all of those who have earned it. Justice will be done. God will do all things right. God will judge both Judah and Babylon in just the right way and at just the right time. But God has determined that Judah will be judged first and then Babylon. And so as we enter into chapter 3, which is a prayer that Habakkuk prayed after God had answered his complaints, we need to keep this context in mind. The next thing to happen is that Judah, which Habakkuk is a part of, is going to be punished. This is what's coming on the immediate horizon. And the instrument God is going to use is Babylon, the even more wicked nation in Habakkuk's, in Habakkuk's view. That's next. That's next. We've complained, we've got an answer, we've complained, we've got an answer, and now that's what's facing Habakkuk and the people of Judah. Judgment, subjugation, defeat, not freedom and victory, but horribly dark days. So understand, this is the context in which this prayer is prayed. So let's look at it now. I want to start by reading just the first two verses of chapter 3. I think they'll be on the screen behind me. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Aren't you glad you don't have to read that next phrase on Shiganoth? It's a musical or literary term, people think, as this prayer was likely set to music. There you go. So, we continue with the prayer. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And we're going to stop there for now. Understand that Habakkuk has been concerned about God's actions. Or more specifically, he was concerned about what he viewed as God's inaction. He has now been informed that God has been acting behind the scenes. He has been setting the stage for both the judgment of Judah and the judgment of Babylon. And now God is about to initiate the plan that everyone will see. Let me summarize it this way. God is about to do some stuff. That's, that's what's happening here. There's something else that I think is going on here. This is a prophet who cried for justice for Judah. And now he knows that justice is coming to Judah. And it's going to be awful. And so I think there is an element to what he writes in this chapter that's kind of a desire to get past the judgment of Judah at the hands of Babylon 
and get to the part about the deliverance of Judah from Babylon. <laughs> I, I think there's some of that in here. And so in verses 3 through 15, Habakkuk recounts many of the great and powerful works of God throughout history where God fought for and delivered his people. They're getting ready to go into judgment, and Habakkuk is about to pray about times when God fought for and delivered his covenant people. He's heard and read the stories of God's great acts to protect and preserve his people, and Habakkuk is awed by the knowledge of how God has worked and how God has defended his people in the past. So let's pick up at verse 3 and see the famous acts that have inspired all in Habakkuk. God came from Teman, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. I saw the tents of Cushion in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, you stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were, hi who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. So in these verses 3 through 15, they record the famous deeds of God that caused Habakkuk to stand in awe of God. We're not going to go verse by verse here, but I want to highlight some of the key events uh, that these sections, that these verses reference. The reference in verse 3 to Teman is possibly a reference to the time following the Exodus. And it, uh, some say that it, it probably just generally refers to the many ways that God demonstrated his power as he brought the people out of Egyptian slavery. Verse 4, his splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Some say that this is a reflection on God's presence at Mount Sinai when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19 speaks of Mount Sinai being covered with smoke and talks of the Lord descending onto Mount Sinai in fire. Verses 5 and 6, plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps, he stood and shook the earth, he looked and made the nations tremble, the ancient mountains crumbled and age-old hills collapsed, his ways are eternal. Verse 5 likely has in view the plagues that God brought upon Egypt when 
God uh, came against Pharaoh and, and brought the plague so that Pharaoh would eventually let the people go. And of course, earthquakes were understood at that time to, to be a demonstration of the power of God. Verse 8 reference, references rivers and streams and the sea and talks about God riding victorious with horses and chariots. This is no doubt a reference to three, of, three events. Three events. You all were looking at your Bibles. I said, no doubt this is a reference to three events. Three events. Okay. The first is when God turned the Nile River into blood to get Pharaoh to let his people go. Not only that, but also the time when the Jordan River was parted so that God's people could cross on dry ground. Not only that, but also the time that God parted the Red Sea so that his people could again cross on dry ground, could escape Pharaoh's pursuing army. And if you know the story, <laughs> it was parted. God's people got through. Pharaoh's pursuing army thought, well, look, we can just go right after them. So they went in, and once they were all right in the middle, the waters came crashing down over top of them, and God's people were freed, and God caused them to escape. Verse 11, sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. This is likely a reference to Joshua 10, 12 through 13, when God gave Joshua and Israel victory over the Amorites. It says in, in Joshua, on the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon, O moon, over the valley Agilon. And then the next verse says, so the sun stood still. The moon stopped until the nation avenged itself on its enemies. And then verse 14 of Joshua 10 says, there has never been a day like that before or since. God moved in a powerful way. And then one last one I'll mention, verse 15 is believed to be another reference to the defeat of the Egyptians. So Habakkuk remembers and he recounts in this prayer the mighty deeds of God. He stands in awe of God's display of power on behalf of his people throughout history. And now I want you to look again at verse 2. If we could go back to the first slide, Jose. Verse 2 again. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Having remembered God's mighty work, standing in awe of them, Habakkuk now has a request of God. Continuing with verse 2. I think on the screen it says revive. In my version it says renew them in our day, in our time, make them known. Habakkuk's prayer is for God to renew his mighty acts in Habakkuk's own day. He is saying to God, he is praying to God, what you did back then, do it again, God Show your power, O Lord. The stuff you did back then, do it now. 
I'm not satisfied with knowing of your past deeds. I'm not satisfied with standing in awe of what was done then. I want to see your deeds now. I want to stand in awe of your power as I witness it in the here and now. Do it again, God. Do it here and now, God. But before deliverance, judgment is coming. And Habakkuk knows this. And so verse, verse 2 ends with, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Think of where Habakkuk started. Frustrated that God wasn't acting against the sins of Judah. But now Habakkuk knows that God has not overlooked the evil. He knows that judgment is coming. And his concern seems to have changed. He's not calling for judgment now. It's coming. No doubt it has settled on him by this point how terrifying the future looks. And so he appeals to God, remember mercy. We've heard about the judgment of God and the wrath of God throughout these first two weeks, but now Habakkuk appeals for mercy. There are very few things in the Bible that are more clear than this. God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. Consider just a few verses. Psalm 103.8 The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 86.15 But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. What that means is that God acted mercifully toward us when we were at our very worst. It is by grace you have been saved. Micah 7.18 Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. And then Titus 3.5 He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. His mercy. God is a merciful God. And the truth is that allowing Babylon to be his instrument of judgment against Judah is itself a merciful action 
by God. You see, I think sometimes we think of the wrath of God, the justice of God, and the mercy of God as if God has a good angel sitting on his left shoulder, and he has a bad angel sitting on his right shoulder. And the bad angel tells God to punish people. And the good angel tells God to be merciful to people. And sometimes God listens to the good angel. And sometimes God listens to the bad angel. I've got news for you today. God isn't in a tug of war between judgment and mercy. He's not. God is always perfectly righteous. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is both perfectly just and entirely merciful. He is always both and he is always both perfectly. What's about to happen to Judah is both just and merciful. They have earned judgment and it is coming. But it's also a merciful action because it is meant to get God's people to turn back to Him. To turn away from their wickedness and to turn back to Him. It's called discipline. The reason the Bible so forcefully drives home our position Today, in 2021, as apart from Christ, standing condemned before God in our trespasses and sins with judgment coming at us like a semi at 80 miles an hour, the reason the Bible does that is to get us to honestly look at ourselves, to see who we really are. To see how helpless we are to solve our sin problem so that we will turn back to God who is a merciful God and receive his invitation to be reconciled to him, to be saved, to be restored to a life-giving relationship with him. Being confronted with our sin and being confronted with the fact that judgment is coming is a merciful act of God who is a merciful God. If you're here today face to face with your sin, having failed God again, done something you vowed you would never do again, and yet again you are feeling condemned Just turn back to God. That's all you have to do. He is willing to extend mercy to you yet again because he's a merciful God. Habakkuk's prayer here in chapter 3 is a good prayer for us today in 2021. God, we know of your fame. And we stand in awe of your deeds. It's a good idea in prayer to recount the mighty acts of God that have a place in your memory. That that have taken up residence in your memory. Both the acts of God that you know from Scripture. 
the acts of God that you have personally experienced in the past and the acts of God that you know family and friends have experienced in the past. Here's one example. Remembering how God saved you. The story of how he moved in your life to bring you to the place where you crossed from unbelief to belief. It's a miracle when that happens. And it is good to remember that act of God in your life. Remembering how God took you from being a hard-hearted person to a soft-hearted person. I don't know what it is about our church, but we've had a number of people, some who are still here, some who have gone on to other places, but who have come to us over the years, and their story, and others have verified their story, is that they have been mean and nasty people, hard people, angry people, like beat you up in the middle of the street and leave you to die kind of people. And in so many of these cases, I have seen these, in most cases men, who cannot talk about the Lord without tears streaming down their faces. Remember those kind of stories when God takes a hard-hearted person and changes their heart and gives them a soft and tender heart. It's a miracle. Remember that. Remembering how God delivered you from addiction or healed your marriage or whatever it might be for you or for someone around you where you knew in that moment that happened because of God. It's good to remember those things in your prayers. It builds our faith and it increases our expectancy for what God might do now. And then after recounting the mighty acts of God, like Habakkuk, here's a great thing to pray. Renew them in our day and make those same kind of acts known now, God. Here's the prayer in a nutshell. Do it again, God. The stuff you did back then, do it now. I remember for both of my boys, Aaron and Austin, when they were Real little guys, they probably wouldn't even remember this, but, and I, and I think every parent's had this experience, if I would toss them up in the air and catch them, or if I do the old game where you, you know, put the little child on the knee that takes children on the horsey to town, you know, that, that, that game. Every time I would finish one of those two activities, I would get a one-word response from both of my children Again. And I'd do it again. And then I'd get another response. Again. And no matter how many times I do it, would do it, the answer was always, the response was always, again. Again, again, again. Do it again. Again is a great prayer. Do it again, God. Like you saved me, do it again for Sally. Do it again, God. Like you freed my uncle from alcoholism in an instant. Do it again for whoever my friend is that's addicted. Do it again, God. Just like you delivered me from anger, set whoever is bound from anger, set them free. Do it again 
God. It's a great, great prayer. And let us be people like Habakkuk that no no matter how troubled we are by the wickedness and evil we see around us, that our response to the wickedness of the world is not an eager anticipation of the judgment that's coming upon the world, but that we would be a people who appeal to God for mercy. On the side of the cross of Jesus that we all live on, as recipients of God's mercy, as recipients of all that Jesus did on the cross, we should be people who are crying out for mercy on behalf of people who are far from God. I think it's okay for Christian people to have righteous anger toward wickedness. I think it's okay for Christian people to rest in the knowledge that wickedness will be judged, evil will be judged, and nobody is getting away with anything. But our response to a world that is far from God, no matter how evil it is, should never be, get them, God. Unleash your fury on these people. That should not be our response. Our response should be one of praying for God's love and mercy to penetrate the hearts of people and turn them to Him. God, I came to the place where I responded to your love and mercy. Do it again, God. Be merciful to my coworker who's so hostile to you, who says such sacrilegious things. God, be merciful to them. God, I came to the place where I saw the truth of my sin and I responded to your love and mercy. And God, I came to the place where I saw that so many things I believed and so many things I stood for were so wrong. Do it again for others, God. That politician that holds the viewpoints that I consider so abhorrent, God, do it for them. Reach them. Be merciful to them. Change their life. Reach them with your love and mercy. Save them. God, my family member who is so hostile to faith, attacks me at every gathering we ever have. God, I'm not calling for you to rain down your wrath on them. God, I'm asking you to reach them. I'm asking you to change them. I'm asking you to save them. Do it again, God, like you did for me. Do it again. Be merciful to them and save them. God, all of that stuff you've done before, do it again. Be merciful to people who rightly stand condemned and through your love and grace and mercy change their hearts so that they see you as you are and they turn to you in faith. This is a wonderful prayer to pray. God, do it again.
let your mercy reach another person. Do it again. Let's stand.